of independent thought my name is desmond price no matter where you are in the world i want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts as always we have a great show for you today now here are our topics hello everyone welcome back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price For those of you who are listening to this episode, and this is the first time that you have ever listened to an episode of Independent Thought, thank you for checking out my podcast. Now, normally, this podcast is centered around national politics, uh, but my last two episodes were just strictly local Missoula, Montana politics, because, and I'll get to this a little bit later in this episode, I do feel it is incredibly just worthwhile to spend time talking about local issues wherever your community is. And I will revisit that at the very end of this episode, because the thing that I want to talk to you guys about today is qualified immunity. And so we're going to talk about what exactly it is, like what's been happening in regards to it recently. Most importantly, why am I bringing this up now? and what should happen going forward. And I want to say off the top that I have sources for this episode include NBC, Axios, CBS, last week with John Oliver, I'm sorry, last week tonight with John Oliver, the Washington Post, uh, an organization called Mapping Police Violence, and the Federalist Society. So I was using information from all of these wide sources to bring you the information for this episode. Now, this episode will just be a solo episode. I uh, typically have episodes where I have me and a guest or just me for half of it and then a guest for half of it. But this episode is just all me. So if you get a little bit tired of hearing my voice after a while, I don't blame you. But here we go. Qualified immunity. What exactly is it? So basically, qualified immunity protects government agencies from civil rights lawsuits. Uh, Examples are like illegal searches, excessive force, or wrongful death. Now, the question I had for myself when I was first researching this is, how exactly does qualified immunity even exist in our country? I don't understand how anything could protect a government agency from violating our civil rights. Isn't that why we have civil rights? Well, apparently, on top of the fact that we have civil rights, there was also a law that was put into place in 1871. Congress passed a law that was called the Ku Klux Klan Act. And yes, I am saying that correctly, which says that people can sue government employees for state violence and for violations of civil rights. Now, even though, you know, it kind of makes me uncomfortable even saying Ku Klux Klan, but even though the fact that that law was in place almost 100 years later, 
there was a doctrine that was established by the Supreme Court called qualified immunity. And this was done in 1967. And so basically what you have with qualified immunity is this. It is most you know, notably used with police and most often used with police. So this is basically in a nutshell how it works. So if a police department decides not to charge a police officer with violating your civil rights, you basically have another option after that to go and sue a police officer in a, in a civil case in court. Now, all too often, courts will just throw out any attempt that you might have to sue a police officer because they'll say that the officer has qualified immunity. And so the court has to determine two things when they determine this. They were told that they have to determine whether or not civil rights were violated in the first place. And then the second thing they have to determine is whether or not there's precedence from an exact case in the past. And, and now I, I kind of just want to say this, you know, just going forward. The reason why so many of these, you know, cases end up even having to go to court in the first place is because so many police departments refuse to charge their officers with any kind of crimes whatsoever. In fact, between 2013 and 2019, 99% of all killings that were done by police officers resulted in no charges. Let me say that again. 99% of the people who died you know, at the hands of a police officer, those officers saw no charges whatsoever. And that remaining 1%, that 1%, if you just take those people who were charged, 75% of them were not convicted of any charges. So we are talking about a system that basically says that if a police officer kills you, there is going to be no repercussions for these officers at whatsoever on the criminal level. They will not be criminally prosecuted at all. And so the only kind of thing that's left over for people who are trying to seek some justice is to go through the litigation process of trying to sue police officers to at least collect some damages for the fact that now their family member is dead, okay? And so as if it wasn't hard enough to come after police and police departments for damages for the death of your family member, in 2009, the Supreme Court actually made it even harder when they threw out the first requirement, saying that courts no longer had to determine whether or not civil rights were violated. They only had to figure out whether or not there was a precedent from an exact case. So if there was not a time in previous history where a court ruled against a police officer in a very specific way, then the court didn't even have to, like, even have to like consider the case whatsoever. And when I say an exact way, I, I mean an exact way. And, and you know, as I was doing research for this episode, there were several like uh, outlets who, who basically reported the exact same thing, where there was a time where a court ruled that an officer, you know, was eligible to be sued because a person was, you know, surrendering themselves to the cops with their face down in the ground. And even though they surrendered, the police officer sicked a dog on them anyway. And now another person tried to sue the police 
for an almost identical incident, but instead of that person being face down and surrendering, they were sitting and surrendering, and the police officers sick the dog on that person anyway, but the court ruled that because that that person was sitting and not laying face down, that it wasn't an exact replica of the first time, therefore this second police officer, for instance, was not eligible to be charged with any kind of wrongdoing, they were granted qualified immunity. And that person who had the dog sick on them just basically was just told to suck it up, buttercup, because their civil rights didn't matter in this particular case. And this is not the only instances that I could find. I could have brought you thousands, but instead I'm gonna bring you a few. And so here's a clip actually from last week tonight with John Oliver uh, explaining what happened to a woman up in Seattle. Here's the clip right now. A federal appeals court has ruled Seattle police used excessive force when they tasered a pregnant woman during a traffic stop in 2004. She was shocked three times with a stun gun for refusing to sign a speeding ticket. Although the ruling was in Brooks' favor, the officer who fired the taser was given immunity because the law on stun gun use was not clear yet. So after this clip ended, John goes on to say something along the lines of what I'm about to say to you now. So I'm basically just paraphrasing what he said, which is, it doesn't really matter what exactly, you know, what, the fact that there was no laws around the uses of stun guns. It, it's not so much the fact that, you know, there was no laws against it. The fact of the matter is that, that officer assaulted her and there was nothing that she could do about it. But there are other instances as well of just people, you know, just being assaulted by the police and, you know, police being able to use qualified immunity. There was a story about a man named James King from Grand Rapids, Minnesota. I'm sorry, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he was walking between one job to another job. And he was stopped by two men in plain clothes. And now these men asked him for his name. And he said, my name is James. And then they asked him for, you know, like to verify that his name was actually James. And he said, yes, my, my name really is James. And, and then one of the two men reached into his pocket and tried to take his wallet. Now at this point, James thought he was being robbed. And so he tried to run away. And now these two men chased him down and beat the, beat the crap out of him. And they put him into a chokehold and basically rendered him unconscious. And when he came to, he tried to bite one of the men because he thought that he was, again, being mugged. And later on came to find out that these were two police officers in regular clothes who were working undercover and who then afterward tried to charge James with assaulting a police officer, which he was eventually able to get around that charge. And when he went to go sue for damages for getting the, the shit kicked out of him, he was told that the officers had qualified immunity. And then he appealed up to another court and that got appealed up to another court. And now his case is being heard by the Supreme Court, but this happened six years ago. So over the course of six years, because lower courts decided to hold up the idea of qualified immunity, he's still seeking damages for being, for beaten almost to death by two men six years ago. And these cops have absolutely no charges against them. There's another case in Boise, Idaho, where Shanice West came home to a police officer out front of her home, and they told her that, she, that they were looking for 
the father of her children. And she said that she wasn't sure if he was in the home or not. But she gave the police officers her key and the permission to go inside the home and search for the man. And instead of doing that, the police actually called in a SWAT team and basically like shot tear gas through the windows and shot bullets into the house and went inside and basically ransacked the entire place and left the home unlivable. And now she tried to appeal to get damages for the fact that, you know, the police basically destroyed her home. And fun fact, he, you know, the man wasn't in the home. But she was also told that the police officers had qualified immunity and that there could be no damages, you know, presented whatsoever. And that she had just lived with the fact that the police just destroyed her home. And she became homeless after that, her and her two sons. And so... What I'm trying to illustrate here is the fact that we have a system right now that is designed to protect people and give them the utmost amount of power. And not only are they allowed to violate your rights, there is literally no criminal repercussions for it, and there is no financial repercussions for it. Now, this, has, this is a conversation that's been coming back up recently. Obviously, with the protests that were all over this country last year, qualified immunity was put back into the forefront of a lot of people's minds because people were looking for, you know, certain ways to hold the police in this country, you know, somewhat accountable. And due to this, Colorado became the first state to remove qualified immunity from police officers last summer. And now, after that happens, the Colorado Police Union actually argued against it, saying that it leaves the community less protected and it asks officers to hesitate. That was the argument. We cannot hold officers accountable because it's asking them to hesitate. Okay. So New Mexico, just within the last month, has now done the same thing. They've also gotten rid of qualified immunity, but they not only did it for police officers, they did it for all government employees. And then afterwards, the New Mexico police union also came out to oppose this measure because they said that it'll drain public funds that would go towards other programs like fighting homelessness. And my question to the New Mexico police union is that if you currently have those funds, why aren't you currently fighting homelessness? In fact, I want to know why that's not being done in multiple places around the, around the country right now. I mean, that seems like a convenient excuse for an issue that police generally don't, you know, go after anyway, unless it's to, you know, lock up people who are homeless for being on park benches or for being in front of businesses that they're quote unquote not supposed to be. So it seems a little rich that that was their response to that. But it's also a pretty rich response in the fact that cities and counties usually pay over 95% of these existing lawsuits anyway. So even when these lawsuits are able to get around qualified immunity, where they're actually able to go through the times that they're successful, the officers themselves are not actually paying any money 
of their own. So going back to what the Colorado Police Union was upset about, saying that it might cause some officers to hesitate, why would it? Even in the times where these lawsuits are successful, these officers are still not being asked to pay. And, and that's what this really all boils down to. This is really about holding people accountable. You know, we have a police you know, system in our country right now that has tremendous power and almost no accountability to anyone when they mess up. They just tell us that their job is very difficult and that we need to understand that. And how dare you ask us to be more accountable than we already are. Here's one of my issues with this qualified immunity argument right now. On top of the fact that, you know, you're asking people to basically humiliate, you know, be humiliated in a courtroom, asking a judge to please, you know, sue these officers who have taken the lives of their loved ones, you know, like after the fact that you've already lost this person, you really shouldn't have to do that in the first place. I mean, in fact, when, especially when it comes to things like searches and seizures, you know, like the Fourth Amendment is supposed to protect people from these things. That's exactly what it's there for. But somehow qualified immunity is able to circumnavigate that, even though it shouldn't be able to. And it's absolutely crazy to me that we are perpetuating a system to stay in place in our society that overrules, you know, our, our constitutional rights. And at the same time, the people who seem to be okay with this are absolutely hysterical about the ideas of censorship and about gun legislation, because those rights apparently are above any kind of restrictions. But this one apparently is completely okay to restrict. The police can restrict your rights however they seem fit, but these other ones, that's not okay. So time and time again, why we have this conversation when it comes to asking for accountability is because police officers will tell you that they're just trying to do their jobs. And the people who defend them will tell you the same thing. They're just trying to do their jobs. Okay, well, let's check in on that. How did, were they doing their jobs last year? Last year in 2020, 1,127 people were killed by the police. And just in case you're wondering how we stack up against the rest of the world, that is 70% more per capita than any other nation in the first world. 70%. Way more than Canada, way more than the UK, way more than France, way more than Spain, way more than Germany, way more than Australia, New Zealand, every other nation that we consider a peer or a friend or an ally or someone that we measure ourselves against in every other statistical way, 70% more people die in our country. In fact, not only that, but last year, 58% of those deaths were officers responding to nonviolent calls, including the fact that 94 of those deaths were mental illness slash welfare checks and 121 of those deaths were from traffic stops. And it would seem that if you look at the news in the last week, killing someone during a traffic stop has now rolled over into 2021 because apparently if you don't listen to the police, if you don't do everything that they say, then they're allowed to shoot you, even if you're not threatening them in any particular way. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to talk about 
where exactly this problem came from, why am I bringing this up now, and what we should do moving forward. We'll be right back. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with me through another episode of Independent Thought. So let's go a little bit deeper into this conversation now. One of the questions that is debated is, is there a systemic problem with policing? Allow me to end the debate right now. The answer is yes. But if you, depending on which news source you're listening to, you will get a very different take on what is the systemic issue. In fact, if you listen to conservative media, they will tell you there's no systemic issue. It's just a few bad apples. Now, raise your hand right now. Yes, if you're alone or if you're on a crowded bus, don't worry, people are staring at you. Raise your hand right now if you've heard of someone say a few bad apples when referring to police violence. Okay. So we get to dismiss what's happening to people in this country because it's only a few bad apples. As when I hear things like that, it makes my blood boil because you're trying to make this impression that it's okay that people are losing their lives because it's only a few cops who are bad. Never mind the, the rest of the good ones who apparently refuse to ever call out or do anything to get these bad cops off of their force. So make them being complicit in watching these bad cops do the things that they do, does that not make them bad as well? 
let's table that conversation for right now. The thing that I want to know is that if this is just a matter of a few bad apples, then why does it seem like all police are so against any kind of restrictions being put on them? Here's another example. Cleveland police officers were asked to file a report whenever they drew their guns and pointed it at someone. Now, they later on came out and objected to this because they thought that it might lead to officers being too afraid to pull their guns in an appropriate situation to avoid paperwork. Allow me to take a second to debunk the absolute bullshit that we both just heard. Because the fact of the matter is, is that if your life is really in danger, one, you don't give a damn about paperwork. And two, if thinking about paperwork is keeping you from pulling your gun out, maybe that's because you shouldn't be pulling your gun out in the first place. If paperwork is keeping you from pulling your gun out, there's a pretty good chance you probably should have had it pulled out in the first place. This is the point, though. It is restrictions like this that are supposed to make police officers think more. Because if we're looking back at the statistics that I was bringing to you earlier, when I said that 121 people died at traffic stops or 94 people died because of welfare checks or the fact that 58% of the people who died in 2020 you know, at the hands of the police, those calls came from nonviolent origins. The fact of the matter is, is that the police in our country are basically trained to shoot first and think later. They are choosing to shoot first and then think later. And they don't want to have any restrictions put on them because the end result of any kind of restriction, including qualified immunity being ended, you know, police officers see it as, you know, they don't want to have to hesitate in the field, you know, because doing so might cause an officer to die when it could be avoided. And to that, I say I completely understand because we are trying to put legislation in place so that you don't kill people when it could be avoided. If only this idea that you're so afraid of, you could actually lend out to the people that have been murdered at the hands of these bad apples. And so why bring this up now? Well, it's probably pretty obvious. Dante Wright and Adam Toledo, we both, well, Adam Toledo was murdered a few weeks ago. Dante Wright was murdered this past week. So far in 2021, we are on the exact, the exact same trajectory of police killings as we were in 2020. It is not deviated in IOTA. So it begs, so it basically says that at the end of this year, you know, as many people died last year, will die again this year. How many of these deaths are avoidable? How many of these deaths are at the hands of officers who have not been trained well, who have not been trained at all, who have serious mental issues that they're not addressing? We have police officers in this country who do their job well every single day, yes, but we have other police officers who frankly should not be police officers, but we can't do anything to get rid of these police officers or hold them accountable because police officers are never charged for any kind of misconduct that they have. And if they are, they're generally not usually convicted as we covered earlier in this episode. And 
we cannot sue these people because of qualified immunity. These things need to change. But let me just like shed some light on the fact of qualified immunity really quickly here, because even if we got rid of it, it wouldn't be enough. It really wouldn't be. And even in the cases where it has been gotten rid of, it really isn't as great of, of a thing as you would hope it would be. In New Mexico, for instance, as I said earlier, they got rid of qualified immunity for all government employees just a few weeks ago. However, they cap damages at $2 million, and you cannot sue officers directly. Okay. And Colorado allows you to sue officers directly, but you can only sue up to $25,000. Imagine that. Imagine the whole state of Colorado, like in an uproar last, you know, last summer when they were told on the news, your state just ended qualified immunity. And you think that it's some huge win for civil rights and coming to find out that you can only sue for up to 25,000 because that's a base, basically what they deem is what any one person's life is worth. So it's, it's not just qualified immunity that needs to end. Now, I'm going to get to the point of why I, I'm spending so much time talking about this at the end here. But the one thing that I want to know is that even if we got rid of qualified immunity, it, it still wouldn't be enough. You know, the, the problem is that even if you can hold officers, you know, accountable for things, the problem is, is that not only can officers just go to a new department and start all over again, it's very easy for them to do so because most of these police departments around the country don't actually keep statistics on when police officers are involved in brutally like beating someone or killing them. In fact, only 40% of police departments in the US actually report said statistics to the DOJ. And so if, you, if one police officer were to leave a certain department, it's very likely they could just go to another department and that department will have no way of knowing what their past is like. And so they could just hire on the violent person who was just fired in a different town. There are so many different parts of our policing that need to be addressed. This is just the bare minimum. Now, there are measures in Congress that are trying to get rid of this. Last year, the there was a bill in the House that was passed that was trying to end all qualified immunity all over the country. It went to the Senate where like every other bill under Mitch McConnell died. So that was the end of that. In fact, when talking about said bill, Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina said that, well, we're open to police reforms on the federal level, but Ending qualified immunity is a poison pill. We're just, we're just not even willing to discuss it. And so the question I really have is, what is it going to take in order for us as a country to decide that police officers should not be above the law? Because that's basically where they're at right now. And I'm not sure what that answer is, but I gotta tell you that ending qualified immunity, it's not gonna be the end all be all, but it would be a great start. But ending qualified immunity isn't gonna stop racial profiling that's led to deaths in this country. It's not gonna stop no knock warrants that you know, resulted in the death of you know, Breonna Taylor. It's not gonna 
you know, retrain officers not to do things like put a knee on someone's neck until they die, like George Floyd. I can only imagine what's going to happen in this country in a couple of days if that person actually gets exonerated from charges. It's not going to end, you know, police efforts like stop and frisk, which is an egregious thing in and of itself that it was even able to exist in our country for as long as it did. Again, another thing that violates the Fourth Amendment. Again, people were even considering voting for someone like Mike Bloomberg in the Democratic primaries last year, even though he clearly didn't give a crap that he instituted that policy. Absolutely disgusts me on every level. And it won't keep some police from just being corrupt. Because here are some of those bad apples that we were talking about before. You know, just going back to 2018, I would like for all of you to go look up some Baltimore police officers that were involved in all kinds of heinous activities, including robbing people and then selling drugs themselves. And my favorite part, where they were told to keep BB guns in the back seats of their cars, just in case they actually shot someone, they could plant said BB gun on that person to make it seem as though they were justified in the killing. But then tell me again why we don't need qualified immunity to end. And so, again, when we're talking about this subject, the main defense is that we don't understand how hard their jobs are. And you know what? Police do have a tough job. It's a tough job. They're asked to do a lot. They're asked to be social workers. They're asked to deal with traffic citations. They're asked to deal with, you know, like going and rounding up animals. They're basically animal control. They're asked to deal with things at schools. They're, they're asked to do everything. So yeah, the police system is broken on many levels. I could spend the next 10 episodes talking about nothing about the police. We could talk about all kinds of issues that are surrounding our police in our country. And they do have a tough job. In fact, suicide kills more police every year than every other cause combined. So obviously it's taking a toll on a lot of these people. But now let me get to the rest of the part here, where even though they have a tough job, you know, just it's not even considered one of the top 10 toughest jobs or most you know, mentally grueling jobs in our country. And I don't see a reason why they should have some special kind of immunity that we don't grant basically anyone else. If a construction team puts together someone's house and they build it faulty and over the years it cracks and eventually one day it collapses and kills people, that construction company is liable for the deaths of those people for building a crappy house. If your doctor kills someone in the midst of operating on them, that doctor is liable for the fact that they messed up during an operation. And now I understand that there's a lot of differences between construction workers, doctors, and police, but here's where it's not a difference. It's the fact of the matter is, is that people should be accountable for their mistakes. It doesn't matter if your job is difficult. It doesn't matter if you weren't trying to do something bad. It's, those things don't matter. That's not what accountability means. It doesn't mean, you know, did you purposely do something wrong? It's did you do something wrong? The end. 
So yes, police have a tough job, but no one should be no one should be above potential repercussions for the mistakes that they make. And finally, I kind of just want to like lay out a more personal story for everyone. You know, too often I'm just coming on here and just spitting out some facts that I've researched and giving some basic commentary that that's like the gist of a lot of these a lot of these solo episodes um it gets really hard to talk you know into the middle distance as i'm doing right now but i want to just ground this conversation a little bit more with a personal story so when i was 13 years old you know i was a kid who liked to sneak out past curfew i thought it was fun and some of my friends would do it with me and we would just like walk around the neighborhood at night because we thought it was fun. And that was it. Just walk around after midnight, you know, around the suburbs. I grew up in suburban Philadelphia. And there were more than one occasion where we actually, you know, had cops chase us. They found us out past curfew. Kids are not supposed to be out past curfew and they would chase us and thankfully when that happens you know we we ran you know i just that just what we did we just we just ran away from the police thankfully those cops they never thought to shoot us they chased us yeah but they never thought to shoot us but apparently in this country we've given the police the right to do that if they choose to so if they had chosen to on those nights, they could have pulled out their guns and shot all of us for not complying. Because apparently that's the narrative that we're trying to push in this country is that as long as you do whatever a police officer tells you to do, then you're gonna be okay. But if you don't, if you, if you don't do everything they tell you to do, they're allowed to kill you. And not only will they not be charged for it, but you can't even sue them for it. And you have to be okay with that. Well, I got to tell you that I'm really not okay with that. And I don't think that anyone should be. And at the end of the day, there are so many different things that we can do in this country in order to rein in the police. We could, you know, start by rolling back some of the power that police unions have. You could demilitarize the police. People have talked about defunding the police. People want to abolish the police. I don't know what the right answer is, but I can tell you right now that at the very least, they can get rid of qualified immunity. So the title of this episode is Qualified Immunity, Should We Get Rid of It? The answer is yes. There's absolutely no reason for it to exist. There is none. This is the least that our local governments can do. And this is why at the beginning of the episode, I talked about how it's important to talk about local politics. Now I wanna bring this to the local level. Just in the last few weeks, New York City, as a city, got rid of qualified immunity. So most police are a local institution. They are a product of your local government. Your local taxes go to fund them. And in our particular community here in Missoula, Montana, we are having city council and mayor elections coming up this year. And so if you are in this community, or if you're in a different community and you have local politicians who are running for office, or even if they're not running for office, it's time to reach out to them. 
typically in these episodes, I tell you that being informed is a really great thing to do, especially if we don't always know what the right answers are for all these different giant issues that we're trying to address. This time is different because there is something that you can do definitively. There is probably going to be, you know, this isn't the biggest podcast in the world, but there's probably gonna be a few hundred of people who listen to this episode. Please reach out to people in your community who are in your local governments and ask them to review or just forget reviewing, just to get rid of it. Get rid of qualified immunity, especially if they want your vote. Because too often we are sitting here and asking ourselves, what can we do? What can we do? What do we actually have the power to impact in our communities? And I guarantee you in a community like mine here in Missoula, Montana, if a few hundred people told the mayor this year in an election year that they were not going to vote for him unless he decided to get rid of qualified immunity, I bet you there'd be some action on that in our community. It is time for these things to change. It is, we, we should all be done fact-finding. We should all be done trying to debate whether or not the police need to be reined in. The police need to be reined in. It's not a debate. And there are so many big things that we can do to rein them in. This is the least that we should do. This is the absolute least. It shouldn't even be up for debate as far as I'm concerned. Qualified immunity does absolutely nothing to actually benefit us as a people. We are not benefiting from these cops having no accountability whenever they make a mistake. It is not keeping us more safe for them having this protection. The last thing I'm gonna say here as we are closing out this subject is that I wanna thank everyone who took the time to listen to this entire episode. I understand that criticizing the police has divided our nation. Some people are just on the line of, I'm with cops all the way, here's my thin blue line shirts. And there are some people who are on the, I wanna abolish the police you know, let's not even talk about any kind of silly, you know, um, just like half measures. This really shouldn't be a conversation that's so polarized, honestly. It, it really shouldn't be. At the end of the day, I don't understand why everyone can't get on the side of that people who have power in our country need to have restrictions. They need to have guardrails. Now the police obviously have some guardrails as we are seeing one famously on trial right now for killing George Floyd. But it's amazing to me how little police officers actually have to go into a courtroom and defend what they did. It's amazing to me that police academies, police institutions in this country are able to not train these officers well enough and send them out into the streets to protect us when they get maybe a few days of actually using their weapon before they're actually sent out into the field with their weapon. And then they have to attend training seminars all the time telling them that they have to treat every potential engagement as a potential threat or else they might not make it home that night. There are so many broken things in this country, but we should all come together and just agree on the fact that it is time for things to change now, now. Thank you for listening to this episode. 
I'll be right back with my final thoughts of the day. Welcome back from our final break, everyone. Thank you for completing another episode of Independent Thought. I want to first thank all of the subscribers. Thank you so much for tuning in every single week. I really appreciate the fact that you are willing to come back and consistently engage in, you know, like with my thoughts. And, you know, for those of you who are consistent listeners, I really appreciate every time that you reach out and DM me. Uh, Feel free to also comment on this below uh, if you are able to, depending on what platform you're listening to this on, or if you see a post about this in social media, feel, uh, please feel free to comment on it underneath. Tell me what you thought of the episode, where it worked, where it didn't work, so on and so forth. Just please give me your feedback on that. Also, I want to thank all of my patrons, all 28 of you. Thank you so much. You're so close to my goal of hitting 30. Hoping to have some new audio equipment on the way for those people who keep talking about my audio quality. I mean, give me a break here, but it's coming. New audio equipment is on the way. And I also want to mention my sponsor, Bathing Beauties Beads. For those of you who have not already, please go check out her site. The description, I'm sorry, look in the description of this episode. You will see a link to her website. Please go check that out. You can get 15% off with the code independent thought. So, and she also has shipping to anywhere in the country. So if you're listening to this in Florida and you're like, I can't go visit a shop in Missoula, Montana, doesn't matter. You can order from wherever you are, maybe Orlando, Florida, maybe Boise, Idaho, maybe Phoenix, Arizona, just order something. It'll get shipped to your door. So as I close out this episode, I kind of want to just get a little more personal again. So I want to talk about why I started this podcast because I was sitting, you know, in my apartment right before the pandemic started. This was, you know, January of last year in 2020. And all I could think about was just how much nonsense I was seeing in our country right now, especially during the the primary, you know, like election. And all I wanted to do was just to get my voice out there. And maybe I'd find 10 people who found what I had to say valuable. Maybe I'd find 20, you know, if I was lucky 50, but I never thought that it would get to where it has gotten to now. But even though it's gotten to be a little bit bigger than I originally thought it was going to be, I don't want to lose sight of why I started this podcast in the first place. And and one of the main reasons is that I just felt like it was necessary to talk about the craziness that's going on in our country. We have, you know, a society right now that seems to be really caught up in just yelling at each other and not finding tangible, you know, things that we can accomplish together. And I don't know how to heal all of the division because frankly, some of it 
is just there because some people in this country are terrible people. And I don't know how you're going to get around to that, but a lot of people aren't. And I would hope that we can all come together when it comes to just common sense things. You know, I had a conversation with somebody just a few days ago uh, who votes differently than me, who thinks differently than me politically, um, who has different views on policing than I do. But when the two of us were able to sit down and have a conversation, we kind of just came to an agreement that police should not be able to do whatever it is they want to. And there should be some limits on them and there should be accountability. And I can just only hope that things like that can continue to become normalized as we continue to have conversations like this. And so I'm asking everyone to please either share this episode or go out and share a video that someone else has done, you know, on policing. We need to normalize this conversation by just having it just openly. Asking people over and over again to consider the fact that, you know, policing needs a change in this country. And I know that it feels like we just did that all of last year. And I'm sorry that it feels like it's repetitive, but you know what? It is really repetitive. And that's basically how change happens. It is the repetitive, relentless pursuit of the obvious. And it's sad that it has to be that way, but unfortunately it has to be that way because it should have been obvious in 1960s America that it's not okay to take a fire hose to black people, but it took a lot of repetitive, obvious statements to get to a point where that was no longer legal. And it absolutely disgusts me what we're seeing in our country right now where so many police are able to get away with what they're able to get away with. However, at the same time, I do recognize how much change has happened. And I feel as though more change can come as long as we, the people, do not give up on the idea that change is possible. And so that is the final thing that I'm gonna leave you with today, is that a quote that says, I think that all the silence is worse than all the violence. Fear is such a weak emotion, that's why I despise it. Don't be afraid to have these conversations, people. Don't stay silent about these things. Don't let this episode be the last that you know piece of research that you do on qualified immunity. Please share this episode and other information that you find about qualified immunity on your social media. Let's have these conversations and let's not give up on change being a reality. See you next week.